So, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Well, wasn't that a great, one of the great clips? And in the, uh, you know, wanting to preserve church unity, I'm resisting my temptation to burst into my Louis Armstrong impersonation. Uh, but I am in control, you'll be pleased now. And for the younger people, you can look up who Louis Armstrong was a little later. Now, my wife and I enjoyed a wonder in the Somerset Levels this week. Anyone come from that area, Somerset Levels? Yeah. It's a lovely part of the world. I'd never been there. What we witnessed was the largest UK murmuration of starlings. Not the largest ever, but the largest going on at the moment. So half a million birds, like the birds we see on the rooftops around here, coming together to give an amazing aerial display before suddenly diving into their Airbnb reeds to roost for the night and exchange gossip about the day. And boy, do they gossip. They were truly wonderful sights and sounds. Half a million Red Arrow pilots, free of charge. And if you'd been back there in 1999, you'd have witnessed six million of them. Even more wonderful. I'm actually going to raise this a little bit. So Joe and I are sharing a few thoughts with you this morning on what is an important part of our Christian discipleship. How do we live in and look after God's creation? It's a huge subject, one that potentially embraces every part of our lives. How to treat other people, the natural world, the environment, how we spend our time, what we buy, what we give. So we can only touch on a little of it in this three-hour talk. <laughs> now, Joe and I certainly don't think we have all the answers. In fact, we don't know many of the questions. But what we hope to do today is to prompt some thoughts and some prayers. And many of you will be way ahead in your knowledge and your practice in this area, and we're very grateful for you. So we haven't got time to go into important areas such as the scientific evidence. We're going to focus on a more fundamental and important reference point, namely what our Bibles tell us and how we sh about how we should live and act in creation. Now Psalm 24 begins, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that verse alone tells me that how we look after creation the people who live in it, the animals, the plants and birds who share it, the land, the seas and the air we depend on, all of it should be an important part of our Christian walk. And yet every day we see events that question how well we are doing. Hence the title of our talk. Maybe God looks at his creation today and unlike when he made it, says it's not good because of what we're doing to it. We've got enormous bushfires in Australia. We've got ice sheets melting like we've never seen before. We've got large-scale habitat loss, extreme weather events, severe flooding, dangerous levels of pollutants in the air, plastic in our oceans, the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Events such as these seem to indicate we're not doing such a good job. But it's also complicated. Some would say that although things look frightening and unusual, they are just extremes in natural cycles, although having pollutants in our air and plastic in our water doesn't seem very natural to me. Some would say that people come first, 
And if that means cutting down trees, destroying habitats and species, producing pollutants, that's a price worth paying. And to, agree, to, to a degree, there's truth in that. Economic development is in general good and has led to lower overall levels of poverty worldwide, even if the gap between the richest and the poorest has widened. Others might add, what's the point of doing my bit if others, indeed whole nations, aren't doing theirs? What real difference will it make? Yet on the other hand, extreme weather events and the economic disruption they bring tend to affect the poorest most, those who do the least polluting, the last, the least, the lost and the little. They can't live in the best neighbourhoods, they can't move to higher ground. And if we are living unsustainably on this planet, then we'd better wake up before it's too late. The stakes are high, we don't have a planet B. Just thumbing through uh, Friday's Times newspapers, your parents will explain what they are if you don't know, uh, I came across several articles illustrating some of these issues. Sardines shrink to half their size in a decade as seas get warmer. Certainly bad news if you like them on toast. Only a third shop greener despite climate concerns. Apparently 75% have concerns about the environment, but only a much smaller percentage has changed their habits. But this was by far my favourite. What an amazing and wonderful image that is. An orangutan holding out a helping hand to a chap who seems to be in a bit of a pickle. In fact, the, the chap is a conservationist who's clearing out this river of, swamp, uh, of snakes uh, to help the orangutans. And I think that sort of sums up the whole of God's wishes for this area. We should strive to help one another and live in harmony. Now, continuing the newspaper theme, I was thumbing through another copy a couple of weeks ago and I came across this headline, Trump versus Thunberg, and there's similar articles all over the internet. Now, I expect you'll know who these two individuals are. Donald Trump on the left, the current president of the United States and arguably the most powerful man in the world if things weren't difficult enough. And on the right, we've got Greta Thunberg, a 17-year-old Swedish schoolgirl whose campaigning has gained international recognition. Now, Greta and many others think we need to ch urgently change the way we live before we ruin the planet we depend on. President Trump, on the other hand, suggests we should, should just ignore these prophets of doom. It's basically fake news. So which is it? Prophets of doom or a real problem we need to wake up to? Now, out of interest, who agrees with Greta that we have a real problem to face up to? And who agrees with President Trump? We can ignore these prophets of doom. And who doesn't really know? Well, that's quite interesting. Well, I know who I think is right, and they don't begin with the letter D. But I also know I get things wrong, unlike our all-knowing God. So let's look at what our Bibles tell us about how we should care for creation. That, as always, is going to be our most reliable source. We should follow God's advice. So the first clear point, as was heard in Psalm 24, is the Bible, the Bible makes is that the earth is the Lord's, not ours. It's his creation, not ours. 
Our reading from Genesis made that very clear too. Now, our owner's rights are very different from a tenant's or a caretaker's. If you own a house, within reason, you can decide who you have to stay there, what colour to have the walls, what pets you have, and so on. You can even decide to add rooms or knock the whole thing down and start again, subject to any relevant laws. If you rent a house, you can't just do that. Some of these things will be expressly forbidden, or at the very least, you'll have to seek the owner's permission to make any changes. On top of that, usually there'd be some sort of overall obligation to return the property in good order, and more or less as you found it. And if you choose not to follow the rules, there will be penalties, consequences. So too with the earth, with God's property. It's not ours. We can't do with it what we like. He's appointed us as tenants, as stewards, but he's not signed over ownership. We need to take heed of the owner's wishes. We need to keep it and return it in good order. If we don't, there'll be consequences. And God has good lawyers, as we read in Revelation 11:18. We're told those who destroy the earth will one day be destroyed themselves. And I think the second point the Bible makes, second important principle, is that God values his creation. And it just seems common sense to me that if God values his creation, so should we. Of course, man and woman represent the pinnacle. Only we were made in his image. How we care for our brothers and sisters should be of paramount importance to us. All are made in the image of God, not just the ones who believe or who we like. So you're just going to have to be nice to me and vice versa. People are the most important bit, but that doesn't mean the other bits aren't important. We're told in the creation narrative, after each day's work, whether it be knocking up the seas or the trees or the bees or the you and me's, that it's good. In Proverbs, we're often referred back to God's creation for teaching. For example, in Proverbs 30, we're told to learn from ants, from locusts, from lizards. Many of the psalmists see God in his creation and find comfort and inspiration from that. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus reminds us that even the splendour of Solomon is no match for the beauty of a simple wildflower. A little later in the same Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus tells us that even the two-a-penny sparrows are important to God. Although sparrows might be slightly more expensive these days since they have declined by some 70% since I was a kid. And the Apostle Paul sums it up like this in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So God has created something of value. We can learn from creation, from unexpected sources, from the ants, from the lilies, from the sparrows. More than that, if we look, we and others can see God through and in his creation. His wisdom, his splendour, his invisible qualities, divine nature and eternal power. So it can be a great tool for mission. That's one of the reasons we go walking and talking on the first Sunday of each month, in the hope some of you will bring friends who don't yet know Christ but who might just start a journey towards him by getting out and enjoying creation and some coffee and cake. Please do think about who you might bring. None of our alternative gatherings work well without guests, guests who don't yet know Jesus 
or need to know him better. And the third point I think we can take from our Bibles is that all of God's creation is important. All that he's made, we need. Our God is not a wasteful God. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish, the disciples still collected the leftovers. Similarly, when Jesus fed the 4,000. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, we read, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, our God doesn't tell us things we don't need to hear and doesn't give us things we don't need. If all scripture is God-breathed and useful, doesn't it make sense that all creation is God-breathed and useful? In Genesis, when he tells Noah to fill the ark, God wants everything saved. Not just us, the cute and cuddly and the obviously beneficial. But wasps, snakes, rats, creepy crawlies, insert your own, but why did God create them too? He created what he did because it is all important and all needed. Now the universe is huge. Scientists estimate there are some 100,000 million stars in our galaxy alone. Our sun is just one of those. They further estimate that there are some 100 billion galaxies in the universe, and that's enough chocolate even for me. So why do we need it all? Well, some, a bit of a fuzzy image, I'm afraid, but some of you will be familiar with this book, The Case for a Creator by Lee Strobel. Now, Lee, a journalist, set out to prove science could explain everything. We no longer had any need to believe in God. So he interviews lots of scientific experts and comes to the conclusion that rather than disproving, disproving God, the science often points to God. In chapter 7, he looks at astronomy and the Earth, or as he calls it, the privileged planet. And he discovers, through the science, that a whole lot of other seemingly unrelated and unnecessary factors had to be in place so that we could have a habitable planet. We had to be in the right sort of galaxy, with the right sort of sun, at the right distance, at the right angle, with the right size, the right moon, and so on. Maybe the universe is so big and so diverse because it has to be. So you mess with God's creation, ignore or destroy bits of it at your peril. Looking after all of creation is necessary to look after our brothers and sisters. It's all here for an interconnected reason. And yet we're doing just that. We're messing with creation. Scientists again estimate that we're destroying an area of forest over half the size of the UK every day. Sorry, not every day, every year. Who knows what we're losing before we even know it's there? Potential life-saving medicines, vital parts of God's overall design, places to meet with him, places that are good for physical, mental and spiritual health. Now, you'd be disappointed if I didn't have a bird in the presentation. Anyone know what bird this is? Someone say anything? It's not a carrier pigeon. Sorry, I couldn't hear that. Not. You're on the right lines. It is the passenger pigeon. Now, two passenger pigeon facts. They can fly at 60 miles an hour, which is pretty fast. And they are where we get the expression stool pigeon from. Now, the passenger pigeon 
was once the most common bird in the world, with numbers counted in millions. There's records that it took days for flocks to fly over. But it was hunted to extinction over just a few decades, with the last specimen, Martha, dying in Cincinnati Zoo in 1914. And just to be clear, the fact that all of creation is important doesn't mean we can't help people out of poverty or kill for food or to protect ourselves or chop down trees or use pesticides. In God's original creation and his ultimate, none of this was or will be necessary. But like us, creation is fallen, so some interventions will be necessary. But we still need to respect God's ownership and the fact that everything is valuable and connected. Changing one thing affects others, often in ways we can't imagine. So there needs to be prayer and there needs to be thought and balance and sustainability. And so often there's not. And there certainly wasn't with the poor old passenger pigeon. And the last point I'd like to make before I hand over to Joe is that God's given us a job to do. Again, our creation narrative makes clear that God has left us in charge of his creation. But wait a minute, aren't we told in Genesis 1 verse 26 to rule over it? And in verse 28 to subdue it? What are we to make of that? Maybe what we're doing is okay. Maybe the Donald's right. But perhaps not. I think the first thing we must acknowledge is that it's always dangerous to take a quote from our Bible, and indeed from anywhere or anyone, without looking at the context in which it is given and the overall character and message it forms part of. God blesses all creation, not just man and woman. Would God bless two things and then tell one of them to exploit the other? I'd say no. And looking at the bigger picture, the God of our Bible is a God of love, of grace, of creation, not destruction of building up, not tearing down. He didn't need to create us, but he did so out of love and grace. A love so deep he even gave us the right to reject him. He didn't need to put us in charge, but he did. He didn't need to save us when we messed up, but he did through Jesus. Would the God of love and grace want us to exploit his creation? I believe not. I believe he wants us to enjoy it, to look after it, to prosper with it, not at its expense. And that will yield bigger dividends in the long term. That will store up treasure in heaven, not just on earth. And that's the job he'd like us to do. And given where most of us are, that will involve sacrifices that are difficult, but one God calls us to make. Repentance involves a cost. And the journey of change will be different for each of us. But as always with God, he knows best. So any sacrifice, any apparent loss will be worth it. So we should strive and encourage each other in our creation discipleship journeys. Seeking and practicing God's will in our lives, asking for his Holy Spirit's help to put it all into practice. The care of God's creation should certainly be on our discipleship agenda and in our prayers. So just to summarise before Joe comes up, we should take care of God's creation because it's his, not ours. It's valuable. It's all important, and it's part of discipleship.
great. Thanks, Tom. Fantastic um, outline. And I'm just going to add kind of two more reasons to this story about why um, I think that we should care about creation and, and what a fantastic start. Um, first of all, I'm going to start with this. Okay, so this is a phrase that we use in our church. If you come here regularly, you probably are familiar with it. Um, the last, the least, the lost, and the little. It's kind of one of our values here. It's like part of our culture, isn't it? And it's definitely been part of my experience of being in this church as well, which has been fantastic. When I started coming here as a teenager, I definitely felt encouraged to kind of explore and investigate how can we look after the people in our society that are least, last, lost, and little. Just a couple of little examples. Um, here's my really great shelter that I built. Do you like it? Um, we did something called Slum Survivor um, when I was in youth group here where we went and built our shelters out of like tarpaulin and wooden pallets. Um, we did have to be evacuated in the night because of heavy rain, but the idea was to give us the experience of what it's like to, for people who have to live in those conditions. And then the other photo um, is from when we did a, a mission trip to Brazil. And again, just the experience of like going somewhere and showing God's love to people um, in different circumstances to me really um, helped me grow my faith, but also kind of started giving me this passion for the idea of justice. So for me, a big part of what Tom's talked about is absolutely true, and I absolutely love the value of creation. Of course I do, because I teach about it every day. But also this drive of justice. How can we look after the people in our society that are the least, last, lost, and little? Um, I think uh, I have our church here to thank for lots of that passion and drive that, that is part of my life. Um, but for some time, I've been really challenged about how my whole lifestyle affects my neighbours all over the world. I think it's kind of easier for us to think, OK, how am I affecting my neighbours maybe that I see day to day? But as our world gets increasingly globalised and interconnected, we have to be attentive to how our actions affect people all over the planet as well. So um, let me start with this verse, kind of often quoted from Micah. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And what a great picture of a people living harmoniously with each other and with God. And I guess that's kind of what I think um, looking after creation allows us to strive for. And as well as that, God's put some um, really practical principles in the Bible for us. So when we turn to the Old Testament and we look at the laws that God gave his people, those laws involve us people living in harmony with the planet, looking after the land, and using that to help the poorest people in society. So I'll just give you a few examples. Sorry, that might be a bit small. Um, the land was allotted based on the number of people. So it was divided up based on how many people were in each group rather than on who was the most important or what kind of jobs they did or anything like that. Um, we were instructed to treat workers well, whether they were strangers or whether we knew them. Um, instructed not to reap to the edge of the field, so to leave some of the grains so people who didn't have much could come and pick it up and have some food. Um, encouraged to give both workers and the land Sabbath rest. Um, and also this idea, which I love, of a jubilee year, that every 50 years, everything got reset. Debt, land got reset, and inequality and poverty got reset. So we've got these principles, right? We can see, like, God's blueprint is for us to live using the land kind of as a tool and using creation carefully and wisely um, to look after not just creation, but also to look after people. You know, the Bible links how we treat the land, the soil, the plants, the animals, to how we treat the poor. And great news, I hope you like a graph, I love a graph, um, poverty is reducing over time. Okay, so this is just by um, continent, but um, over the last 40 years, the percentage of people living in absolute poverty has dropped from 60% to about 20%. 
which is fantastic. It's brilliant news, and we should feel that we can celebrate that. And I think that that, that trend, that pattern, has at least in part come from Christians serving the poor, praying, giving faithfully, going overseas, trying to look after the poorest people on our planet. But our progress in reducing poverty is being threatened. The challenges posed by climate change and other environmental issues, Tom outlined them really, really well, um, mean that we risk witnessing this trend reverse. We overconsume, we use more and more energy, we have this culture of using things once and then throwing them away. And that poses a threat to the progress that we've made and the work of countless followers of Jesus before us who've been trying to serve the poor. And I think if we want to be faithful to those principles laid out in the Bible, then we need to start living in a better relationship with our planet. We need to start caring about the intricately designed elements of God's creation because they're valuable to God, but also because um, God's blueprint is using creation to create equality. So part of our blueprint, our character as a church here, is placing a high value on the last, least, lost and little. But people who live in poverty are hit hardest by climate change. I'll just give you one example. This is where it's really tempting for me to tell you about loads, but I'll just stick with one. Um, so the, um, as temperatures increase, the deserts spread. That's like one consequence. 100 million people live in the Sahel region of Africa. That's the edge of the Sahara Desert. Um, and that's one of the fastest growing populations in the world as well. And um, it also has some of the poorest communities living there. And those people are hit the hardest. Similarly, coastal flooding, tropical storms, contaminated water supplies, the spread of tropical diseases. This is my whole geography curriculum. They're all challenges which hit the poorest people most severely. Okay. And Tom mentioned the debate between um, Greta and Trump earlier. And uh, I think I would just add to that, you know, it's really good to consider that and to bring that in. But if you that like makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable or you're not really sure about that or you're not sure about the science behind that, you know, don't let that tie you up in not so much that you don't act or react to this part of the issue as well. Um, you know, we ought to be looking out for the people and places that are going to be affected most severely. We need to kind of like keep that maybe um, in, in the forefront of our minds in the midst of the difficult debate of what's going on. So why should we care about creation? Well, the least, the last, the lost and the little depend on it. Secondly, um, why should we care about creation? Because it's what Jesus wants. So recently, I was doing an assembly to year nine, and I asked them, what makes you valuable? And I went around the room and said, what makes you valuable? What makes you valuable? And the number one answer was, I don't really know. Um, and so I got to tell them and talk to them about the fact that I think that they are valuable. And one of the reasons that they're valuable is they're valuable just because they are right? Just because they exist. We know that people have inherent value. We feel that in our bones, I think. Um, but we also know that's true of creation as well. I mean, hopefully you felt that when you watched the video um, at the start of the service. Um, I think we feel it, we sense it when we see forest fires raging, when we see um, marine creatures in plastic, when we see coral bleaching. Um, we kind of understand that those things have a value inherently, right? They are valuable because God made them. And that understanding of value comes from our Heavenly Father. And Jesus came to save the whole of creation. And I think um, I just want to, you know, kind of say, let's put Jesus back at the center of salvation. 
I am often prone to put me at the center. So I'll just give you an example. This really famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, sometimes I can read that or remember it and think, for God so loved me that he gave his one and only son that when I believe in him, I will not perish but I will have eternal life. And in one sense, that's kind of not wrong, is it? That is true. God does love me. God has sent Jesus to save me. And I do get eternal life when I believe in him. That's true. But actually, um, yes, God sent Jesus to save us. But he was compelled to do so because of his love for the whole world. Right? For God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the people. It's using that term to talk about the whole planet. And similarly, this verse from Colossians, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus came to reconcile all things. The planet, the plants, the animals. God longs to restore all of this through Jesus. His restoration is full and complete. Now, here's the point where we could get distracted by whether God's plan for earth is eternal or not. So someone might be asking, maybe you're thinking, okay, that's all fine, but won't there be a new heaven and a new earth when Jesus returns? Now, that would be a different sermon, and I'm not going to go into that um, today, but I'm just going to say two things that I think help us understand where that discussion might fit in the context of what we're talking about today. Um, I guess that's a bit like saying something like, hmm, one day I won't need my teeth anymore. One day I won't. So I'm not going to bother looking after them now, even though it's now that I need them and now that I have a use for them. It's the same of Earth. We have a use for it now. We need it now. So there's an element of our calling to look after it now. And secondly, um, the story of our Earth in the Bible makes it clear that God does have a plan for creation. And we might feel a little uncertain about what that is and what that looks like when Jesus comes back or what the eternal purpose is. But we know that God has a plan for it. Now, doesn't that sound so much like the rest of our discipleship? I can definitely relate to that in my life. I know God has a plan for my life, even though I don't always know what it is, even though I'm not always sure what that looks like. Okay, So I think we um, can live with that in the context of this um, topic of creation. Tom said already, it's such an important part of our discipleship, and it's just like the other parts of our discipleship. We don't have all the answers, but we can feel the sense of calling and importance on... um, looking after our planet. Of course, we live in the tension of now, but not yet in this issue as much as any other. But caring about creation has so many benefits. And I don't have time to talk about all of them today, but for me, this has been a big part of my experience, is as I try to do little things to live more in harmony with the planet, as God intended us to do, um, it allows us to care for the last, least, and lost more effectively, but it also like, improves our spiritual well-being. You know, getting outside is good for you. Um, spending time with God, thinking about creation is good for you. The world is busy and stressful and achievement-driven, but Jesus speaks of a life which is simple, gentle, peaceful, and quiet. So just to summarize what we've said um, today, so creation is his, not ours. It's valuable. All of creation is important. This is a part of our discipleship. It helps the last, least, lost, and little. And Jesus came to save the whole of creation. So, you might be asking, what next? 
what, what next? How do I respond to this? So just a few kind of ideas. I would love to talk to you more about this. So Tom and I are definitely both really hoping that this is going like, to be the start of a conversation for you, or maybe a conversation that you have with your family at home. Um, so just a few kind of thoughts. So learn would be a really good recommendation. Um, maybe read scriptures about creation, read up about what's happening to our planet, um, calculate your carbon footprint, work out what that's all about, get out in nature and get to, used to it and learn more about its worth. Um, pray, so pray outside, pray for the outside, pray for the earth itself, um, explore different ways of praying about creation, um, act, so this might be making changes to your lifestyle, to the way that you do things. Um, I would say a good piece of advice is to celebrate the little changes, celebrate the changes that you can make, and not feel bad about the changes that you can't make yet. For example, um, I was thinking, this would be a really good Sunday to cycle to church. <laughs> um, so, you know, I drove my car here this morning. But um, little changes are great, and if you want to talk to me about, you know, what are the small changes that have the biggest impact, then I would love to tell you about that. Um, and also giving, so considering where your money goes. So um, a lot of charities um, working in the developing world are now kind of putting climate change at the forefront of their agenda because they recognize that now already, but also in the future, this is going to impact on people the most, and so we need to kind of be tackling it now. So you might want to think about, does my money go to any of those causes already? Maybe it does, um, or would I like to change that? So those are some thoughts. And um, what I want to give us the chance to do just for a couple of minutes is to kind of start this conversation now. And hopefully then a little bit later when we go have a coffee, you can talk to me or talk to Tom, talk to each other and kind of continue a bit later. But so I'm going to ask you in a moment if you're happy to do so to talk to someone near you. Three ideas of questions, but feel free to talk about something else. Um, how can you place a high value of creation in your day-to-day -day life? Um, what does creation discipleship look like for you? And is there anything you're going to learn about, pray about, act on, or give in response to today's message? So I'll give you a couple of minutes, then I'll pop up again and pray and close up for us. Um, but if you're happy to do so, then do have a little chat with someone near you. Okay. Hopefully you had some good starts to conversations. Um, Andy's really helpfully said he's going to, he started walking to work. It's great, isn't it? Good, positive, to celebrate the little things. Um, please do carry those on afterwards. Great to ask questions and talk more. Let me just pray for us to close, and then I'm going to hand over to Andy. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we're able to come today and talk about and think about your amazing creation. And at the start of the service, we thought about our favorite places. And we're so thankful that you've created this amazing planet for us to live in, the wildlife, the plants, um, and the people just all reflect your glory. And please help us as we consider how we can direct our lives to you in a way that also looks after your creation. We want to glorify you in the way that we look after our planet. Amen. <laughs>